of the living God. We lift our hands to praise you. We lift our hearts to bless you. God, we lift our minds to give you praise. Because it is because of you that we live, that we breathe, we move, and we have our being. Oh God, you are the creator and the king of the universe, and we take this time behind this sacred desk, in this sacred space, to say, Lord, we thank you that this moment belongs to you, that this hour belongs to you, God, that our praise belongs to you, that our heart belongs to you. Speak your servants, listen, God, as we hide behind your cross, behind your word, behind your will, behind your way, God. Oh, God, we give you praise and we give you thanks. We may never get this moment again, but while we have breath in our bodies, we lift our hearts and say hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Glory to the Lamb that is slain. Oh, bless your name, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. God, I even thank you for the healing that is working for the ones among us who have sickness in their body. Thank you that your healing virtues are flowing to them wherever they are right now. In the name of Jesus. Father, we believe that we receive in the name of Jesus and we ask for healing, we ask for deliverance, and we ask for your word to flow. Tear down every stronghold in our life. Tear down every artificial thing that looks like you but is not like you. Lord God, we want you to move it in the name of Jesus because we want to be like you. And Father, we seek for your word. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take you at your word, just to rest upon your promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Father Jesus, how we trust you, how we prove you are and are, oh, for grace to trust you more. Give us that grace and we'll give you the praise, the praise and honor that you are always do, that the universe cries to your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody give God a praise in this place. Thank you, brother. Hallelujah. There's a sweet spirit in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you really love him, don't fool me, but tell him, Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you.
Miss Well, amen. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Did anybody feel the spirit of the living God falling fresh on you this morning? I don't know about you, but when I come to church, I need to feel like when I left church, that I had church, that God was in the building. Can anybody feel the presence of the living God in this room? Why don't you take the roof off of this place and give God a praise in this place? Hallelujah. 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 Don't do it. Don't do it to me. Don't do it to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. trying to get attention, apparently trying to make me run across the stage. You know what, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, when I look from where I could have been and see where God has brought me to, sometimes my soul cries out, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother Bob, stop jumping. If you don't stop jumping, I'm Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless that wonderful name of Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Bless that wonderful name. The book of Romans, chapter 2. The book of Romans, chapter 2. Can somebody give God a hand clap of praise and welcome all of our family from online and all across the building, we give thanks to God in his mercy and his providential judgment that he saw fit to leave us here one more time to give him praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Chapter 2, verse 17, Romans chapter 2, verse 17. You guys ready for the word? I'm excited today. I'm reading from the NIV, but I'm old-fashioned, and I got this old, falling-apart Bible. So uh, if, I, if I stumble on a word and it's slightly different from the revision, y'all keep reading. You know the custom. For those of you who it might be your first time, welcome um, to Encounter Church, where our goal is to what? Reach the lost, and to what? Teach the found, and to change the word, world, one life at a time. You may stand for the reading of the word of our God. Uh, the book of Romans, chapter 2, starting at verse 17. And it says this, read it with me. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you teach yourself? Hmm. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. 
But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. This is where we're going to hang our hat today. Let's read verse 28 loud, verse 28 and verse 29. What does it say? A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart. By the Spirit of God, not by the written code, such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. I want you to help me preach today. Will you look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm laying my religion down. Look at your other neighbor. They didn't get it. Look at your other neighbor. I'm going old school today. Look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm laying my religion down. Give God a hand clap of praise in the building. Hallelujah. You may be, hallelujah. I feel it too, Brother Bob. It's in the building. It's in the air. Can you feel the presence of God in the air? I feel a praise in this place. How many of you are just glad to be here? I feel like David said, he said, I was glad not when they let me. He said, I was glad when they even mentioned it. When they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm just glad to be here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sometimes we take that for granted, but I guarantee you there's somebody that woke up this morning. They had legs, but they wouldn't move. They had arms, but they couldn't lift them. They had tongues, but they couldn't talk. That's why I'm glad since I got legs, one's hurting, but they're still working while I still got hands that I can raise. I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 I'm ready to have some church today. Can y'all tell? <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm laying my religion down. I'm laying down my religion. Brothers and sisters, we have been traversing through uh, Romans. And as the Lord has allowed us to peruse through the passages of his word, he has told us and shown us some things that are vital for our Christian belief and our Christian instruction and our growth as Christians. The first thing he did, it took us two entire sermons. Paul is so deep just to get through his introduction after he talks about the sovereignty and the power and the majesty of God. That's something you need to know when you come to Christianity. You don't have to kowtow and bow your head, but you serve an all-wise and all-knowing and all-powerful and all-sufficient God. It doesn't matter if they cancel you or if they close up all of your lines of communication, if they close up all your lines of money, stand on the word of God because I serve a God that says even when there's famine in the land, come here, Elijah, I can let you go down to a brook and I can feed you from the land. I can do whatever I need to do in your life. Paul is telling us that we serve a sovereign and a righteous God. And as he begins to make the case that he, we serve a sovereign and a righteous God, he comes down and lets us know something about this thing called the gospel. The gospel in the Greek, the, the euangelion, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we realize that Paul has to tell us why the good news is good. He tells us, it's, he says this, for it is the power of God. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's the power of God for salvation. If you know somebody that needs to be saved, all you have to do is give them the gospel. You don't need your power, but you need God's power. That same power <laughs> that he's talked about in Acts in 1 and 8, when he said through the Holy Spirit that, that he will come upon you, that you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost had come upon you. And then he said, and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of the gospel, the power, the dunamis. When he uses that word dunamis, it's the word from which we get our word dynamite, that disruptive miracle working power, that power that will tear down strongholds, that power that will tear down years of sin off of your life and break down the old man and say, if any man being Christ. He is a new creature. The old things have passed away and all the things are made new. That's why Paul said I am not ashamed of that gospel. But then he has to explain to you why he's not ashamed of the gospel and he begins to let us know the reason that the good news is so good is because the bad news is so bad. <laughs> the reason that the good news that Jesus came to die for me is so good is the fact that I need to Somebody to die for me because I am a sinner in need of the grace of God. Pull up that slide on the screen. Paul has been telling us for the past few weeks the three types of people which cover everybody either in the building or everybody under the cover of the atmosphere. Everybody who's in the world goes into one of these categories. The first one is the morally depraved, that person who has given themselves over to unrighteousness. And not only do they do unrighteous things, in their foolishness, but they approve of people who do them. They throw them parties and parades, and they celebrate sin. You don't know a culture like that. You've never been in a place like that, have you? Especially now, those types of people that don't care about God, they feel like they can live life without God, and they are happy and excited to help other people live in sin. Then he begins to go over to another group of people, the secular moralists. These are the people that are generally the self-righteous people. They create their own version of morality. They're not really into God, but they have a sort of quasi uh, fake moral code. They were the people who have sliding scales of morality. This sin is acceptable, but not that sin. This badness is acceptable, but not that one. And, and we see that happening today, even in our culture. That we've gotten so bad that even the sinful, sinner people are looking around and saying, hey, you're going a little bit too far now. But I've come to tell you that when you open the door to sin, it does not retract, but it protracts. When you allow sin to run rampant, it doesn't go backwards, but it goes forward. But God has given us a remedy towards those things. And this is generally the type of people who are what I call the rules for thee, but not for me. Everybody said rules for thee. But not, for me. but not for me. It's bad when you do it, but you should just understand when I do it. You should just understand I'm not perfect. I, hey, I'm not perfect. I, I have faults. I look down on everybody else, but, but don't look at me. But today we look at the third group of people <clears throat> because each week we see Paul talking about different types of people and he's going in a specific order. He started with the worst of the worst or what we thought was the worst of the worst, the morally depraved. And after you read down his list of whom the wrath of God was coming, then he turned around for those who were the self-righteous secular moralists and says and such were some of you 
I always remember that you started. Everybody say, I started somewhere. somewhere. When you start looking at the sinner, remember that you once were a sinner and you started somewhere. Have the same compassion that you would want to have for somebody else. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You're here today because somebody was merciful to you. If not a human, a merciful God didn't kill you in the middle of your sins like he had the right to do because he is right and he is righteous and he's sovereign. So if you're living and you're breathing, if everybody do this real quick, you see that? Blowing your hand real quick. You know what that is? That's called the mercy of God right there. You ought to shout right now for the mercy of God that God didn't kill you in your sin, but he gave you a chance to get it right with him. <laughs> That's the mercy of God. And then he goes over to this third type of person as he begins to go over into the church and speak to people who knew about God. He begins to go over into the religious person, the religious person who has no real relationship. Paul is talking to Jews who most of them, most of the young men by the age of 13 know more about the Bible than we would ever know because they have memorized the first five books of the Bible by memory. They don't have to go and get Google. They don't have to go get a life application Bible and type it in. You can just say, quote Deuteronomy 27 and 5. And they didn't have page numbers, but they tell them what to quote and they'd be able to quote that. They knew the Bible like anybody else. They were the keepers of God's law. They were the recipients of God's law and now Paul is talking to them because he says I know I talked last week to those people who were looking down on the people who were real raunchy and real sinner like but they lived moral and they thought they were better but now I need to start at the church <laughs> because there are a bunch of people in the church who have come into the church and they think this Paul is addressing what I believe may be the saddest case of all there are people who are religious, but still missing out on a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. The Jews were the holders and the keepers of the word. They felt they knew God's word because they had the information. They knew the Bible inside and out. But the problem is that they had information, but no inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that became deadly. They ended up with 613 laws and rules trying to get right with God. And that's why Paul let them know that the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. If I'm from the country in Mississippi and if you take a hoe and you know what that hoe is for, you can go out and start chopping rolls and you can start growing up food and that food will produce something to give you life. But if you're angry with somebody and you don't know what to do with it, you'll do with it what Cain did to Abel and you'll take it and you'll attack your brothers and sisters because you took a tool that was meant to be constructive and you used it to murder somebody. <laughs> I submit to you that the church is full of spiritual murderers where we use the word of God not to uplift, but we use it to kill people. We use it to burn people down. We use it to condemn people. We use it as a weapon to make ourselves feel better about ourselves while we're killing the people who need the grace the most. If you don't know what to do with something, it is a weapon. The Bible says that the word of God is a two-edged sword and it cuts to and fro 
down to the very marrow bone. But here's the thing. When Marvin and I went to get our CPL, the reason we went to get it is because there's a difference between a person who has a gun and somebody who knows what to do with it. You can legally carry a firearm and not be that good at shooting it. You can legally carry a firearm and not have the mental capacity to know that this isn't a good time. I can de-escalate this situation. Do you know that you can have the word of God and still not know how to use it because you are missing the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? That information without inspiration equals dead, dry religion. Dead, dry religion where? We're still trying to live off the moves of the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 70s and the 80s. We're still trying to talk about the old time church and the way things used to be. Why is he not moving like he used to be? I don't know. You in charge now. You tell me. Could it be that although those people didn't have as much information, they had the inspiration and the passion down for the Holy Spirit. And as the spirit moves, it did the work there. It's good that you know the Bible. I want you to know the Bible. I want you to come to Bible study. But here's the thing. Information without inspiration equals no transformation. He said, be ye not conformed to this world. Don't be molded to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have you ever seen somebody that knows the Bible? They've been in church for, for 30 years and they still fight like cats and dogs and can't get along with their husband or the wife. You know why? Because they got information, but no inspiration. And therefore, there's no transformation. They have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. If you can't say amen, hallelujah, say ouch. You ever seen somebody who grew up in the church like me? I'm 42 years old, which means I'm 40. I've been in the church for 42 years and nine months. I've been in the church all my life. But there are people who have been in church all their life and still are dealing with anger, still are dealing with resentment and all sorts of things. And they know the Bible like the back of their hand. And that's why the sinner said, mm, I ain't going in there. Why? Because they just like me. They worse than me. As a matter of fact, I could do that and stay out here if that were the case. You know why? Because they have information, but no inspiration and there is no transpiration, trans, transformation. They are trying to live legalistically and follow rules, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, what tends to happen is. When we handle truth without relationship, we get religion. When you start to beat your kids up with the Bible and things like that, then you get religious and they begin to resent God. You don't have to teach your kids uh, that what you can teach them is to have their own personal relationship with Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of them, it will do the regulating. For he said that the Holy Spirit is the paraclete, that he is the teacher. Why are you getting frustrated when your kids won't do what you tell them to do? Because it's good that you instruct them. But the thing you should instruct them of most is to get saved and get the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because eventually they're going to leave your house and they're not going to be under your rules. And if they don't have a real relationship with God and all they got was information for 18 years, they're going to leave the church and it'll be years before they come back. Because they got information, but God never entered into their body. They were baptized in this building, but they were never born into the body of Christ. 
he's talking to Jewish people. He said, you call yourself a Jew. I'm going to bring it to you today in today's term. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to read it the way I want to read it right now. He said, now, if you call yourself a Christian. <laughs> Y'all see that in the text? <laughs> if you call yourself a Christian. And you rely on legalistic and morals, but moral acting and how much you tithe and how much you give and how much you show up to church and you brag about your relationship with God. If you know his will and you know what the Bible says and you approve of what's right and you know the Bible like the back of your hand and you convinced that you're a guide to the blind and that you can show other people. All I'm doing is taking what he said and putting it in our context today. He said, if you are an instructor of those things and a teacher of infants and you should be teaching other people he says this do you teach yourself when you tell your kids it's not nice for them to argue do you argue when you tell your kids to clean your room is yours not clean pastor go ahead and hurry up sit down If you tell your kids to act like they have sense and not go out cussing everybody out and acting crazy, do you do it? Who Jesus? Who Jesus? Who Jesus? Who Jesus? <laughs> if you're teaching others, do you teach yourself? Because it's always easy because our eyes point outwardly. Our physical eyes point outwardly so we can see people on the outside. So it is our natural inclination to look at everybody else. But the Bible says that the eyes, Jesus said, are the window to the soul. So they are the inverse. The spiritual eyes don't point outward, but they point inward. Search me and know me, O oh God, and see if there be any unclean thing in me and remove it and lead me in the way of life everlasting. That a true relationship that's not religious and not seeking to tell us what's wrong with the world is seeking for us to say, what's wrong with me? Fix me, God. Fix my life. Fix my heart. I don't want to just keep going through religious motions and not have a true relationship with you. Hallelujah. Religion, the definition of religion is man's systematic way of trying to be made right with God. And it is seated in pride because it assumes that you can do something to earn your salvation. Am I supposed to tithe? You're supposed to give as much as you can and give liberally. But how much you give doesn't denote how your relationship with God is. But I can see how well your relationship with God is by whether you give it or not. You know why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's why he said don't, the man shouldn't give under compulsion, but as he is purposing his what? Heart. If you get your heart right, we don't have to ask for money. There'll be more money in here that can be because our heart will say, God, I want your will and purpose, and I don't want your church or the children in your church or the community that your church serving to go without. I know I can do more and I give more because I'm not religious. I'm doing it because I love you. You ever notice when you when you got somebody out with you that you don't really like that much and the bill come around, everybody start looking because you don't want to pay for them because you really don't care for them that much. And you're like, I'm not paying for them. And they said, when the check is and you hurry up and say, oh, everybody's separate. They got their own. 
But when you love somebody, my brothers and I, when we go out, it's funny. They look at us crazy because all three of us are fighting over the bill because we love one another and we're fighting to see who gets to pay. Why? Because we love one another. And when you love somebody, you want to give them as much as you can. That's the problem with a lot of churches that are low in funds. Why? Because they have a bunch of religious people who have no relationship and therefore they have to beg you to get something out of you. But if you love God, you're not sitting up saying, mm, let me see what the preacher is driving. Let me see what the preacher is wearing. Let me see what this is going. You're saying, I don't care where it goes. You commanded me to give and I'm giving. I'm not giving to a man. I'm not giving to an institution. God, this is my offering to you and I'm going to give it with joy and I'm going to give it until I don't have any more to give because I'm not doing it out of religion. I'm doing it because I have a relationship. That my very giving is worship. How I treat and speak to other people is worship. How I treat my husband or my wife is worship. How I treat the person who cut me off in traffic is worship. How I treat the person who's not minding their business and want to show up on, on one of those Instagram videos getting bopped upside the head. How I turn my way and don't say nothing crazy to them and I love them anyway is worship. I was going across the street the other day and I was walking. I bought a bag and I was coming out of this building and this lady was nice enough, Brother Ernie, and she said, come on across. I wasn't at the crosswalk. She just let me come across because there wasn't that many people that were coming. And she stopped her car and said, hey, come on across. And I was walking across and I looked at this guy and he let his window down and he waved an unholy hand at me and he said, hey, the crosswalk is for crossing. And the old man that didn't, that was religious, would have told him a thing or two and told him what he could do. But I looked at him and the Holy Ghost got me. Thank goodness I don't want to go to jail, y'all. And I turned around and I said, you have a wonderful day, sir. And he looked at me. He didn't know how to respond. <laughs> he was confused, Pastor Ernie, <laughs> because he had just screamed at me. And I turned around and I said, you have a wonderful day. Why? Because I love Jesus and I don't want to get out of character because somebody from Royal Oak may walk in this building one day and say, ain't that that man that was punching that dude inside of his car the other day? That ain't what you want. I don't want to make Jesus look bad. <laughs> because I have a relationship. I'm not perfect, but it makes me think most times <laughs> before I act. I have to say most times because some of us, sometimes we will be honest, we act and we don't think about what we're doing. But he's getting something out of us. He's letting us know, break down your pride. You cannot be made right with me by what you do. You can only be made right with me by what I've done. That's pride thinking that our performance can gain acceptance. He's talking to the Jews saying, you think just because you were born uh, a, a Jew that, that you have this sort of type of higher echelon. But here's the thing. You don't get right by me by doing just stuff. You have to have a relationship with me. You are my chosen people. God will always love the Jewish people. God said those who bless Israel, he will bless. I love Israel, but what God has given is a deeper message for us who are religious people today. God doesn't care about your religion. 
And all religion, you brush your teeth religiously every day. You get up and follow the same patterns. That's what religion is. I tell you what a religious church looks like. You get up, you sing the same songs, do the same thing, go through the same old pattern all the time, sit in the same seat, uh, do the same stuff, go eat at the same place after service, and, and you, you haven't changed. All you do is talk about how good the sermon was, but you never change anything in your life. You have gotten into religion. That's boring. That's dangerous. That's one of the most dangerous things there could be. Why? Because I'm not worried about the person who's way out there doing wrong. You know why? Because they know they're doing wrong and they know there's a different standard. And unless they reprobate, they might change. I'm not worried about the secular moralist. Somebody may give an intellectual argument to get them. But how do you save somebody who thinks they're saved but they're really lost? How do you save somebody that's been born in church so much that when I say when praises go up, you say religion. <laughs> Hallelujah. He wants to free us from religion. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I, I see what you were doing this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Let's read that together. What does it say? Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. There are people who preach in pulpits across America, and they're not saved. Did you know that? There are denominations, whole denominations that are on the brink of, of splitting up and fighting over things that the Bible says is obviously wrong, but they cannot see it because the Lord has taken their lampstand. They have allowed people who have come through seminaries and have been intellectual to get into the higher echelons and hierarchy of their organization. And now they don't even resemble a church anymore. You know why? Because they were more interested in the letter than they were in the spirit. You need to get the spirit. So the spirit can help you walk by faith in God's word It's one thing to know God's word, but it's another one. God's word knows you and it begins to open you up and let you reveal yourself to yourself and say, you know what? You got a bad attitude. You need to change. And you say, I do. I think I will. You know what? You fast off in the mouth. You need to change. I think I will. You know what? You stingy as two left shoes. You put two two dollars in church and, and fifty dollars in golf equipment and hunting and all this other stuff. You know what? You're right. I think I will. You know what? That's the Spirit reading you. See, that's the power of the Holy Spirit, that while I'm talking to this group of people, as many people in this room, as I'm talking, he's saying something different to everyone. He's relating differently to everyone. Why? Because I'm not preaching under my power. But before I get up here, I release myself to the power of the Holy Ghost. And I want the Holy Ghost to speak to you. I don't want you to hear my voice. I want you to hear his. Mine doesn't sound that great. There are better orators than I am. But there is no one powerful, more powerful than the Holy Ghost. 
Paul knows that without a true relationship with Jesus, you simply have a works-based religion that is dependent upon the traditions and the rituals of men. The Jews who were God's chosen had systematized everything. They went from 10 commandments in Exodus 20 all the way to 613 different laws. They were proficient in the letter, but they had missed the spirit. Mark 7 and 5 through 8. Everybody pull up Mark chapter 7, verse 5 through 8. Mark chapter 7. I feel good, y'all. I'm comfortable today. Y'all might not see me in a suit for a while. I preach different when I'm comfortable. Mark 7. <laughs> Mark 7, 5 through 8. Somebody said, please put a suit back on. Mark 7, 5 through 8. I, I can't take this preaching. Well, it's too late. It's summertime. Mark 7, verse 5 through 8. What does it say? It said this. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders? Stop. Why don't you dress like a traditional pastor? Why don't you sing the old hymns? Why don't you do things the way we used to? Why don't you have church the way we like to have church? Why don't you live according to our traditions and our rituals? Let's keep going. Of the leaders, instead of eating food with their defiled hands, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Let's read that again because we all dropped out of that. We need to, we need to read that and read it loud because somebody, somebody said, oh, Lord. Let's, let's, start at, let's start at verse 6 and let's read that again. What does it say? Go to verse 6. We want to read that loud and together. That's okay. If it stepped on your toe, it already stepped on mine. Don't feel bad. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6, Mark chapter 7, verse 6. What does it say? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. They had laid down God and picked up religion. They were dead men walking and did not know it. How do I know they're dead? Because the letter killeth. It's the spirit that gives life. You can learn all the words you want, but if you're not saved, it's not going to permeate your heart like it needs to. You got to get both of them. It's word and spirit. Not just word or just spirit. Some people try to get the spirit and they don't have no word. They don't have no, they don't have no training. You need both of these things to go together. Jesus is simply saying to the Pharisees, you have the right information, but the wrong motivation. You know you need to be at church, but you don't really understand why. You know you need to be given, but you don't really understand why it is that you're giving. You know that you need to be raising your hands and singing, but you don't really understand why. That's why you come to church every now and then. You show up when you get ready because you're religious, but you don't have no relationship. Well, pastor, I don't have to come to church, church to be saved. That's right. And I don't have to come home to be married, but that will affect my relationship. If I don't come home long enough, it's going to be a problem. And if I got a good relationship, I, I don't want to go home. 
If I have a real relationship with God, I don't have to beg you to come to church. You beat me here. You know why? Because you're not here to see me. You're here to congregate and feel the love when people that love Jesus like you do show up. When we replace sincere and true obedience to God with repetitive legalistic habits, we begin to pervert the purity of worshipful living to God. I'm going to repeat that again because somebody needs to get that. Thank you, Holy Ghost. When we replace the sincere and untrue obedience to God with repetitive legalistic habits, we begin to pervert the purity of worshipful living to God. I'm just going to give the same thing every week, do the same things in church sing the same song. Why don't you for one time before you stop by that box say, Lord, is this really what you want me to give? Let me hear your voice. Let me touch my heart. Lord, is this really where you want me to sit today? I know I've sat in the same seat for 20 years, but God, there's some people over there that they don't know you, Jesus, and, and, and I do. Maybe, maybe you're telling me to sit in a different spot instead of doing what's comfortable and what's religious and what's familiar. I do what's necessary. I'm led by the Spirit. It doesn't matter how old you get. It's boring to do the same thing over and over again and know what songs you're going to sing before you sing them. But it is an exciting life to live by the Spirit of God as He leads you to different places, to talk to people you normally wouldn't talk to and spend time with people you normally wouldn't spend time with because you're not following a religious pattern. You're following the lead of the Spirit of a living God. God, you're not in a dead religion, but you're in a living relationship. That's why church is boring to a lot of people. Not because church is boring. It's because they're dead. They're religious. And they were raised in religion. They see no value in it because they haven't had a real relationship. Matter of fact, I'll give you a prime example. I'm, I'm fighting real good to go with my notes, but I'm just going to let them go, go with the Holy Ghost. I'll go back to that. I was out this week. I was working. I was away from my family. I left right after Memorial Day. I left that night, and I went to a hotel, and I was going almost crazy, Austin, because I'm so used to my kids making noise, and I'm sitting in this hotel room by myself, and I'm about to go crazy. I went downstairs. I sat by the pool for a second. It's a real nice hotel. I'm sitting there looking at stuff and, and watching how nice the water is and doing all these things. It still wouldn't do it for me. I went, got something to eat. I called my wife and my FaceTime, kids on FaceTime. My wife don't never answer the phone, so I called Mia because Mia always answers the phone. And when I said, I said, hey, what are you doing? Because Mia gets her phone glued to her hand. And she, she said, hey, daddy. I said, where your mama at? She puts me on FaceTime. I get to see Robin. I get to see the kid. Then they got off the phone and I said, uh, what do I do now? <laughs> I'm so used to going and I'm isolated. I don't know nobody here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not, you won't see me getting in trouble because I ain't going nowhere. I'm, I'm going to find me some food and that's where I'm going back to my room. That's, what, that's my MO. And then the Lord just picked my heart and said, what about me? You here talking about you bored. <laughs> you ain't got nothing to do. And it never once crossed your mind that I was here. That you could spend some time with me. And I cut off the TV, which was making noise. I don't watch TV to anybody like that. And I just got up and said, Lord, I bless you and I thank you. It wasn't no music. It wasn't no organ. 
Wasn't no drums. It wasn't no praise team. Wasn't nobody else in the room to see me. It was just me and God alone. And I began to worship God right where I was and tell him, Lord, I thank you for loving me. And I thank you for keeping me. And I thank you for healing me. And I thank you for restoring me. And I thank you for loving my family. And I thank you for your protection and your provision. And you know what? Although there was nobody in the room but me and God, it felt like the room was filled and the presence of God became to come down. And I realized something that even pastors can get into a habit and become religious, but there's nothing like having a relationship with God. Encounter, I love you, but I don't need you. (laughs) Pastor, what do you mean? I love you. I love it when we come together. It's wonderful. You can't replace corporate worship, but I don't want to beat you around the head with the letter and just keep telling you Hebrews 10 and 25 says forsake not to assemble. You know you're supposed to come to church. You don't need me beating you upside the head. What I need to tell you is that you're missing out on something that religion won't give you, and when you get it, it's going to drive you to church, and I won't have to because you're going to be so in love with God. You can't and wait and you'll be like David I can't believe it's Saturday I was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the God I want to be in your presence I want to be in your presence I want to be around you I want to be where you are I want to feel your glory I want to feel your power and I don't need it for a show of people and I woke up that morning brother Ernie and when I went to sleep Jesus was on my mind and when I woke up before my eyes come up I said good morning Holy Spirit and I could feel him say good morning to me and I began to talk to him again and then I looked up and said you know what I've been so busy working that I I missed you. I've been so busy preaching for you that I haven't been talking as much to you. I've been so busy leading people to Jesus and trying to do stuff for you. Do you know you can get so caught up in the work of the Lord that you will forget about the Lord of the work? Not in this church. It won't be in this church because from the top down to the bottom, we will be Jesus people, people who seek God, not just on Sundays, but we wake up like the psalmist said early in the morning, will I seek you? You can serve God with logic and reason. Nothing wrong with that. But he doesn't just seek our reason and our logic. He seeks our heart. Pull up Jeremiah 29, 13. Somebody's saying, I've been coming to church. I've been listening to what you say, but it's really not getting me. You know why? Because you have doing it. And you always hear me say, if you have do, don't do. If you want to really find Jesus, I'll tell you how to find him for real, for real. Somebody say, for real, for real. I want you to internalize this and say it with me as loud as you can. The words of our Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Let's read it. What does it say? You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. 
<laughs> not just when you show up on Sunday morning, not just when somebody had to beg you to come on Wednesday night, but when you go to bed at night, your mind is on him. And when you get up in the morning, your mind is on him. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his light, Lord, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of the water that bringeth forth his fruit in due season. His leaves will never dry up, and whatever he does shall prosper. I've been praying for you to work in my life, God. I've been tithing. That's great, but are you tithing with your heart or with your head? Are you trying to use God like a spiritual slot machine? Are you giving it to him for your heart? Because the heart might say, don't give me 10, give me 15, give me 20. It may say, give me eight, I'm not the spirit. Whatever he said, but have you seek God and what he wants you to do? Oh, how sad it would be to live amongst the people of God and miss God entirely. Because I was stuck in religion. This church ain't for everybody, Pastor Ernie. You know why? Because we break all the religious rules. <laughs> we don't sing a certain genre of music. We sing everything. <laughs> we don't dress a type of way. We dress any kind of way. We don't follow all the rules. And Turhan was make, about to make me start hooping this morning, playing behind me. But we, but we don't have to get into a certain type of, of, of liturgy when we do our homiletics or our hermeneutics. We go and we are led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God leads this church, not me. I'm led by the Spirit of God. Amen. Paul is making the case that not just the unregenerate need God, but people in the religious world have missed him as well. And he's telling them, examine yourself. That's why it makes sense when you hear the word say, examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Examine yourself to see, has your heart gone cold? Has your heart waxed cold? And you've got religious because he's given a promise. He gave it to Israel, but that principle still works. He's still able to do it. He says, and I will take out the stony heart and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. God wants you to get out of your religious devotion and he wants you to have a relationship with him something special with him and you can be like the psalmist and say and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own <laughs> and the joy we share as we tarry there religious folks have never known Hish. He's talking about you call yourself a Jew because you've been circumcised in your flesh. But the problem is you haven't been circumcised in your heart. It does you no good to come in in your Sunday best and know all the religious words and say, how you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored, but you have no joy and no love and no peace in your heart. It does no good to run around this room speaking in tongues when you can't speak to nobody because you don't have any peace in your heart. That's why he says, 
I want to go deeper. He says this as we get ready to go. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Can you feel the presence of God in this place? He shot out both sides. Oh, Jesus. Mm. Bless your name, God. I'm going to take my time with this last piece, and we're going to be out of here. He says this, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? He's not talking about the action. He's talking about what produced the action. He says, you who commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Let's see what Jesus says about that. He said, you have said. Why does he keep saying to the, to the rabbis, you have said? Because they do a type of stereo where now they follow not just the word, but they follow the interpretation of what the rabbis say. We would call those those who follow the, the first century heroes and those who always have to say what the commentary says before they say, God led me. He has said, you have said it is this, but I say it is this. Why is he saying that? Because he's trying to upend religious thinking and tell them what the word really meant he's saying you got a bad interpretation that's what he's saying he's saying you have said that you should not commit adultery but I tell you that he who lusts with a woman on the heart in his heart has committed adultery already it goes deeper than that I'm not after your action I'm after your heart that produces the action because if I get your heart I have your actions <laughs> I ain't got to tell you to pull your skirt down. I just got to let the Holy Ghost get ahead of you. I ain't got to tell you, tell you to button up your shirt. I just got to get the Holy Ghost to get a hold of you. And when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you and gets a hold of your heart, I ain't got to tell you to put your weed and your beer and your alcohol down. If that's what he wants you to do, I'm going to let him do that because he's much more convincing than I am. And when he gets a hold of you, change will happen. And I promise you, you will not be the same. Even in this, he says, and I had to stop and I had to study over this. He says, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? What is he saying? What have I heard that language? Because a Jew wouldn't be in, in, in a secular temple. They wouldn't be where sacrifices are going. But I, I remembered and I went to a word and I heard something and I was studying and listening to pastors and stuff. And I thought about something. He says, will a man rob God? How have you robbed me in tithes and in offerings? Well, Pastor, I don't believe in tithes and offerings. <laughs> take it however you want to take it. Do you steal? In other words, are you taking what belongs to God and going to, to Piccadilly or whatever we call it today or going to, to what's the place y'all like to eat up here or going over to Coney Island or wherever the case may be? Are you, are you wearing the Lord's clothes? Because you took the money that was going to be devoted to him and did something. Are you driving the Lord's car? Are you living in the Lord's house, which means that you're taking what's devoted to him. And instead of being a good steward and budgeting and living within the budget so you can give generously, you just live however you want to. And then you buy what you want and beg for what you need. That's what religious people do. But people with relationships say, Lord, I want to be generous for you. So I'm going to get my financial house in order and I'm going to become debt free and I'm going to live according to the word of God so I can be generous. I want a deeper level of intimacy and lighter level of, of this. I want to leave you with this. I said, Lord, how do I end this? And he gave me one sentence and he said, the heart of the matter is 
It's the heart that matters. I'll repeat that again. The heart of the matter is that it's the heart that matters. It's time for some of us to lay our religion down and pick up a relationship. Some of us have that relationship, but we've allowed religious things to make it stale. And God is saying, you're not done, whether you're two 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 90, 100, whatever your case may be, no matter where you are, the heart of the matter is, I'm after your heart. Pastor, why are you talking about money? He's not after your money, he's after your heart. He just knows wherever your treasure is. <laughs> That's your heart. You're stingy because your heart's not there. You're angry because your heart isn't with him. You don't have any peace because I'm going to walk off camera for a second. Keep playing, sir, huh? You know why you don't? Because you don't wake up in the morning. I'm the pastor. I'm not exempt. You don't have a devotional that you have to pull out and make yourself read in the morning because you're a human and you can get angry and you can wake up on the right, wrong side of the bed. But any side of the bed is the right side of the bed if you'll wake up with Jesus. Because the heart of the matter is, is that the heart that matters. What I want you to do as we open this altar and Pastor Ernie and Pastor Dave and all, all, the, all the people come forward, I want you to ask yourself, search me, oh God, and know me. Don't worry about what other people will think. If, you got, if your hair is gray, pepper gray, white, whatever it is, everybody in this room, if you know you can be deeper, if you don't have hair at all, it doesn't matter. <laughs> If you know your relationship with God <laughs> is not how it means, where it needs to be, that you saved, but you don't have a sweet fellowship like you need to, come to this altar. Let's break with religion. For years, we taught people that you only come to this altar if there's something dirty and tawdry in your life or you need to give your life to God. That's religion. We throw that out the window. This is the altar for prayer. Amen. Where you can seek him. You'll seek me, and you will find me when you seek for me with your whole heart. Because the heart of the matter is it's the heart that matters. Lay your religion down today. Give God a hand clap of praise as the altar's open. Prayer team, Pastor Ernie, Robin.